As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Wendy. And I'm Jess, and you're listening to the Food Heaven Podcast. Your online resource for inclusive and accessible wellness. New episode. Who it is? Ah, she just stole my <laughs> intro. <laughs> I just did that intro, you guys. I was like, never mind. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Stole that intro. <laughs> We're back. We're doing another episode today. We are covering pre-diabetes with our girl, Alice Figueroa. So many of you have asked us about pre-diabetes, what you can do about it, how to incorporate intuitive eating with pre-diabetes. So we're going to get into it with her. Alice is the perfect person to talk to because she is, she just came out with a book about pre-diabetes. We'll talk about it, but she's also a prevention program lifestyle coach and a registered dietitian with a master's in public health. And she's passionate about promoting universal health access to nutrition, to all foods and being very inclusive. Alice actually works with me at my private practice. She is one of the dietitians that is on the team. The clients love her. And so I figured this would be a great opportunity to get to pick her brain about all things pre-diabetes. So we're going to talk about what prediabetes is, all of the different risk factors that might put you at a higher risk for prediabetes. The big question, do you have to cut out carbs? Short answer is no. Long answer is tune in to find out why. And much, much more. Before we hop in, want to highlight a listener review for this week. This is for G Irma 5 I have been binging this podcast for the past couple of weeks and have recommended it to all my friends as a young woman in college, the content in this podcast has fundamentally changed the conversations we have about food in our own bodies. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. Thank wow, you. that's a great review. Thank you so much. And if you have not already, hop on over to our podcast feed on iTunes and leave us some stars. And if you have time, leave a review. We appreciate it. We are still trying to get to our 2000 reviews and ratings by the summer. We are at 1899. <laughs> so go go ahead over there. We need 100, 100 more folks. And without further ado, let's jump on into the episode. We realized that we haven't really had an updated episode on prediabetes for like five plus years. And we're like, okay, we need to talk about prediabetes from a new lens, kind of a more weight inclusive, inclusive lens. And the great thing about your book is that it is diabetes prevention, but not focusing on weight loss, which so many diabetes uh, prevention efforts, that's like their primary focus. But before we kind of get into what people can do, I just want to talk about what prediabetes is, because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are like, okay, I was told that my blood sugar was high. I don't even know what's going on. Like what's the difference between diabetes and prediabetes? Can you let people know? Absolutely. And I get this question a lot 
you know, what the difference between prediabetes and diabetes is. Prediabetes, like diabetes, is a metabolic condition. And it can, in fact, children and adults of all ages and people from all different ethnicities and races. And it occurs when your blood sugar or your glucose levels, that's something that you're here at the doctor, and your A1C or AG, HGA1C are elevated. And what your doctor will tell you is that they're higher than normal, your blood glucose levels, your blood sugar levels, or your A1C, but it's not elevated enough yet to be diagnosed as diabetes. And when you are told or diagnosed with prediabetes, it means that you uh, may be having some insulin resistance. And insulin resistance is a metabolic condition. And there are several factors that affect or that predispose you to develop an insulin resistance. But what insulin resistance means is that the insulin in your body, which is responsible for helping you break down and store sugars in your body, is not working as effectively. So when you eat something that contains carbohydrates or sugar, whether it's added sugar or natural sugar, what happens is that your body breaks it down into glucose. Glucose is just another word for sugar. And insulin is responsible for making sure that your body uses the sugar that is produced from the food you eat in an efficient way. And when insulin resistance occurs, your body, for some reason, is not efficiently using insulin to break down glucose and to store glucose and to use it in your body for energy. That's what can lead you or predispose you to having prediabetes. Okay, that's really helpful. And working in clinical settings, I've noticed that people of younger ages are being diagnosed more and more with prediabetes. I used to work with a lot of kids who were diagnosed with prediabetes, teens. It's a cause for concern for their families because they're just like, is this normal? I'm wondering if you know about the stats. Like, have you seen the rates rising in the recent years for prediabetes? Yes, prediabetes diagnosis is rising globally. The thing is that something that's important to know about prediabetes is that there are de different definitions depending on the region or the country. So there isn't a world accepted definition for what prediabetes is. So whenever you look at prediabetes studies, there's always a side note that says, well, some countries have different definitions. But what we do know is prediabetes rates are increasing and that they are showing up in younger people, including our children. The important thing to know about this is that about one in three adults in the U.S. has prediabetes. Most of them are over the age of 45. And while the number of young adults and adolescents and children that are diagnosed with prediabetes is also in increasing, older adults are more likely to develop diabetes or prediabetes. And this is just because as we get older, it's more common for uh, people to experience insulin 
resistance because we, um, as we age, we have decreased pancreatic efficiency. So what that means is that the pancreas, which is responsible for the management of insulin, is not as effective. One thing to note, too, is that a recent study, it was actually published about two or three months ago, found that a pre-diabetes diagnosis in older people, people that are over 70 years of age, is not as much of a concern because at that age, it's actually normal for your pancreatic activity to start diminishing. You should still be mindful of prediabetes, but it might also be part of the aging process too. For older adults between the ages of 70 and 80, something to be more aware about is when you're diagnosed with prediabetes under the age of 60. Because um, that means that you are developing insulin resistance at a younger age. And it may not necessarily be related to just the normal process of aging. Y'all, the summer is officially here. I don't know about where y'all live, but in New York City, it has been hot. It is definitely a New York City summer. (laughs) Sometimes I'm afraid to go outside. I'm like, God, it feels like there's like a heat wave going on. And like my little AC, that's a whole another topic. (laughs) My struggling AC, it's like barely keeping up. But what I do love to do in the summer is go to the park, whether or not it is burning outside. I love going with my little cooler and a blanket, possibly with some friends and just laying out. And this week's podcast sponsor is the perfect accompaniment to your summer gathering, whether you're going to the park, whether you're having a barbecue, whether you are chilling in the crib. Course Pure is an organic, crisp, refreshing beer. It's perfect for when you want to cool down and it just tastes so, so, so good. The beer itself is super simple. It's made with organic barley, organic hops, and water. That's it. And it's perfect to celebrate the everyday wins of life. So when you're planning your next gathering, make sure that you grab some Coors Pure. You can go to CoorsPure.com to find out where you can get your hands on some. So when you are planning your next gathering, make sure that you go to CoorsPure.com. That's where you can find out where you can get your hands on some Coors Pure beer. It's organic, but chill about it. And just a mandatory disclaimer, celebrate responsibly Coors Brewing Company, Albany, Georgia. We're going to get back into our episode. Aside from just our pancreas not functioning as optimally as we get older, which can be a risk factor, what are the other risk factors and are people of color at higher risk for uh, prediabetes? Well, I always like to think of of the risk factors as being in two categories. There are some factors that are within your control and there are some factors that are something that are mostly beyond our control. One of them is age. And like I mentioned, as you get older, the risk of developing prediabetes increases. So that just has to do with the fact that we age and our pancreas is not as efficient. Um, There are genetic factors that are passed within families that can increase the risk of uh, prediabetes. For instance, if you have a first degree relative, 
a mother, a father, or a sibling who are diabetic, um, you are at an increased risk of prediabetes. And there are also other uh, genetic medical conditions. For instance, if you have high triglycerides or high cholesterol, that may also increase your risk. Or if you have PCOS, and I know that a lot of women are being diagnosed with PCOS. So that's an area to pay attention to. And there are also less common genetic conditions that can also put you at risk. So um, it's important to really map out your family's history to determine if you are an increased risk. Yeah, there's so many different factors. And I think a lot of times when people are diagnosed with prediabetes, diabetes, it's like uh, urge to find answers like, well, where did this come from? I would get that a lot from my patients. Like no one in my family has diabetes or prediabetes. Like, I don't know where this came from. Even like questioning the diagnosis, perhaps. And these conditions are so complex. And sometimes there isn't just like something that you can pinpoint because especially like environmental factors, it's so hard to like pinpoint things like that and kind of like the impact that they can have on our health. So yeah, I'm happy that you touched on all of those. But yeah, it, it could be kind of tricky with like getting to the bottom of why this is happening potentially. And I think the initial reaction for a lot of people is, well, let me just cut out carbohydrates so that I can try mm-hmm. to control my blood sugar as much as possible. We all know the answer to this here, <laughs> but I want to <laughs> ask you for our listeners, is that something that people have to do to achieve blood sugar goals? The answer is absolutely no. You do not have to cut out carbs. And if anyone tells you that, you really don't need to pay attention to them because they're really simplifying a very complex metabolic condition. Um, Like I was saying, there are factors that are within your control that can allow you to manage or even reverse prediabetes. Things like adding certain fruits to your plate or vegetables, which are carbs actually, have been shown to be very helpful at balancing your blood sugar. Eating whole grains, which are very rich in fiber, can be also helpful in managing your blood sugar. And a lot of people that push fat diets tell you, no, you can't eat fruit because it's too sugary. No, you can't eat bread. But in reality, a carbohydrate is neither good nor bad. And in fact, some of the healthiest foods in the world are carbohydrates, like fruits and vegetables, legumes, beans, and whole grains. And including these foods in your plate can also help you feel uh, satisfied. It can help you feel full. It will allow you to eat fiber, which is very important at the management of your blood sugar levels. And I think something that's very important for me to share with people is that even if you have a chronic condition, uh, whether it's insulin resistance, prediabetes, or diabetes, all foods can fit. And um, restricting foods that we like because we're afraid that they will make our condition worse is not necessarily helpful at nurturing your overall well-being. For instance, if you're restricting food, you might 
not be satisfied when you eat, or you might be hungry because you're leaving out a whole food group. And if you are hungry throughout the day because you're not eating filling meals or you're doing a crash diet or cutting out food groups, then you're actually doing something that might be harmful to your metabolic health and your digestive health because being hungry actually causes your blood sugar levels to drop. And one of the key things for the management of prediabetes or diabetes is to try to have a steady level um, of blood sugar. So restricting foods or being hungry because you're following a diet is actually the opposite of helpful to managing the condition. Say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, the amount of times that I'm sure all of us have met with people who have been misinformed that they need to cut out carbs, cut out their favorite cultural foods in the name of managing their prediabetes. It's just so ridiculous and unnecessary and not helpful and probably harmful in the long run. So I'm curious because I know you did all the research for your book. We know that we don't have to cut out carbs, right? But what are the recommendations? recommendations for um, improving prediabetes? Like what are the behaviors that you really lean on to help manage blood sugar? Yes. So one of the things that is within your control is moving your body mindfully. Physical inactivity can be a contributor to prediabetes. But the good thing is that studies have shown that by simply moving your body on a daily basis, you can actually help manage prediabetes and insulin resistance. And what I mean by this is that you can engage or find a practice of mindful movement that you find joyous, that will help you move your body, de-stress. A lot of us spend a lot of time in our computers or sitting. So finding a mindful movement routine that resonates with you is an excellent way to help your body manage prediabetes. And ideally, you want to shoot for getting at least 150 minutes of mindful movement per week. And although that might sound like a lot, it, it doesn't have to be a lot. It just means that you have to go for a walk for 30 minutes five times per week. Or it, it can count if you take the stairs at your office instead of the elevator. And going up and down those stairs a, you know, a few times per day, that will equal to about 30 minutes of physical activity at least five times per week. It can be just dancing at home or doing, you know, a free YouTube workout. So it, it doesn't have to be something that is restrictive or um, that you feel pressured to, to fit into this mold that society has set for us about what exercise look, looks like or physical activity. It can be just moving your body joyfully and mindfully and finding movement that resonates with you, that fits your preferences, your emotional needs, your physical needs, and that that's fun for you. Um, also, how much sleep is important. Not getting a good night's sleep can actually contribute 
to stress and sleep disorders. And actually, there is a, a study by the current diabetes reports that link short sleep duration to metabolic imbalances, uh, including heart disease, irregular appetite, and an overactive immune and inflammatory response. And all those things can actually increase your risk for insulin resistance or prediabetes. So trying to find a sleep routine that is nurturing for you is really key to um, the management of prediabetes. Smoking, giving up smoking is also something that can be very helpful. And I know that it's easier said than done, but it has been shown to be very important. And you know, those are some things that you can do in your everyday life to manage prediabetes if you've been told that you have prediabetes. Yeah, it's, I think, very surprising for people that the recommendations for prediabetes and even diabetes are pretty much in line with the recommendations that we give for just like general healthy eating. It's like, add more vegetables, maintain a good balance of like all of the food groups, protein, carbohydrates, fats. But yeah, it's like people just, I think naturally tend to gravitate, not naturally, but they tend to gravitate towards restriction because that is what's always being Mm -hmm. promoted. And I think individualization is so, so, so important because you really have to see how your body reacts to the way that you're eating, to how you're feeling, to how satisfied you feel, especially for people um, who are taking medication, because even with like that piece of fruit, it can affect one person completely different compared to another person. And so you really um, you really have to assess. And also if you're doing like if you're using a glucometer and all of those things that can be helpful and also like gauging um you know, how stress and exercise and food and all these different things impact your blood sugar. Yes. And, you know, to me, the key to to eating a, a healthful diet that can help um, reverse or manage insulin resistance and prediabetes is actually to create a very filling well-balanced, satiating plate. So it's not about restriction. It's really what can you add to your plate to make it nutritious and also delicious. For me, I, I like to use my plate. And when, when I say my plate, I don't mean like this restrictive idea that you have to, you know, set up a plate and measure everything out, but just the idea of having a well-balanced of having a well-balanced plate. And you can do that by setting the goal to include complex, non-starchy carbohydrates like leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, eggplant, carrots, celery, mushrooms, okra, zucchini, Brussels sprouts in most of your meal. And you want at least half of your plate to be that. You can also focus on making sure that you include a grain in your meals so that they're filling and so that you get some fiber out of that. And some options could be quinoa, rice, bulgur, oatmeal, and whole wheat bread. And I know that Jess and I were having a conversation about rice. And I know that for a lot of us in our cultural foods, we eat white rice. And I want to tell you that if you 
love white rice and you're not into brown rice at all, go for it. You can still eat your white rice. It's just about the portion and uh, how much of it you eat. So you, you can still eat it every day, you know, with whatever stew is your favorite. For me, we eat it with uh, frijoles negros and, and arroz and it's always arroz blanco. So um, you don't have to give up white rice. When you compare brown rice and white rice, nutritionally speaking, they're about the same. Brown rice has a little bit more fiber, but it really won't make a big difference. So if you want to have your white rice, go for it. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that. And you can have bread too. It's just about making sure that it's a good portion. So for instance, a good way to gauge if it's a good portion for insulin management is to make sure that the grains and carbohydrates that you're eating make up about a fourth of your plate. When it comes to the rest of your plate, just include some proteins. And it can be things like beans, habichuelas, tofu, tuna, eggs, chicken, salmon, whatever protein that you like, making sure that it's a force of your plate and that you include it at most meals. And I also like to, rem to remind people to add a fat component to your meal. Some fats to add that can be very satiating and add creaminess and just richness to your meal to make it really satisfying can be avocado, nuts, seeds, olives, yogurt. If you like cheese, those are great options. Fat helps you feel satiated, helps you feel full. And it's important to know that adding healthy fats to your plate, like avocados, has been linked to reduce risk of developing diabetes. I always say that if you want to finish out your plate with a piece of fruit, um, they're an excellent source of soluble and insoluble fiber. And studies have shown that fruit doesn't really cause drastic spikes in blood sugar levels. And I know that with diet culture, culture you'll hear, oh, you know, don't, don't give people with prediabetes or diabetes fruit. Um, you're even hearing it from some pediatricians that are telling parents that, you know, you shouldn't give your kids fruit because it's too sugary. Fruit is not too sugary. Fruit is a perfectly healthy addition to your plate that can help you feel more satiated. It can make a great palate cleanser or a dessert and you'll get fiber and antioxidants. I always say that if you want to create a plate that has your protein component, fat, grains, and vegetables, then on the side, you can have a, a small to medium-sized fruit and just enjoy that. Or I'll say you can have a half a cup to a cup of, of berries or your favorite fruits cut up. You know, one thing also to keep in mind is that you want to make sure that you're drinking mostly water or beverages with no added sugar um, or artificial sweeteners. Studies have shown that regular consumption of soft drinks or pop or sodas, depending on where you are in the country, can increase your risk for diabetes. Even diet sodas, people who drink diet sodas over time don't actually see reduced prediabetes or diabetes rates. And most studies show that they're not 
honestly that beneficial to health. That being said, I'm not saying you can't have sodas at all, but it's important to practice mindful consumption of them if you're pre-diabetic. Y'all, I used to have the worst, the worst pots and pans. It was kind of a joke and I never wanted to cook because they were all just so bad and hard to clean. What I realized is that if I wanted to be serious about cooking and having the process be seamless and easier, I needed to invest in my kitchen tools. So not only my pots, but my knives, all the things. This week's podcast supporter, Maiden, makes cookware and kitchenware products that are used by thousands of the world's best chefs. I recently tried their carbon steel pan which is the perfect hybrid of a cast iron skillet and a stainless steel frying pan. What's best about it is that it has the heat retention of a cast iron skillet. It also has the seasoning, which is the main reason why folks like to use cast iron, but it's also light because you know that cast iron skillet is sometimes just so heavy. You don't even want to take it out of the cabinet. So this one's light and has great heat control and high cooking speeds. Maiden produces professional quality cookware and knives for those who love to cook. And you don't have to take my word for it. They have 28,000 five-star reviews and their products are used by some of your favorite Michelin-starred restaurants around the world. Right now, Maiden is offering our listeners 15% off your first order with the promo code FOODHEAVEN. This is the best discount they have available anywhere online, y'all, for Maiden products. So all you got to do is go to madeincookware.com slash foodheaven and use the promo code foodheaven for 15% off your first order. That's madein, M-A-D-E-I-N, cookware.com slash foodheaven. Use the promo code foodheaven. Now back to the episode. I want to talk a little bit about weight because for people who are just tuning in to this podcast, we take a weight inclusive health at every size approach, which means we can all pursue health no matter our size. I mean, that's a simplified explanation. But one thing when I was working in a particular clinic and I was doing a lot of pre-diabetes work, I was leaning very heavily on this one large scale diabetes study that was about diabetes prevention. And in that study, it recommended that to prevent diabetes, people lose weight. It's like five to 10% of your body weight or something like that. I am wondering what your thoughts are on these kind of recommendations, which I used to give (laughs) to, to lose weight, to prevent diabetes. Oh, that's a great question. And, you know, I can share a little bit about how I got into pre-diabetes management. As a young dietitian, I actually worked in digital diabetes prevention. And the programs that I worked in were all about losing weight. And and my clients would be given a scale. And to be honest, when I when I started working, I, I realized that it was so stressful and painful for people to get on the scale. And I would hear that feedback for my clients. So I actually didn't enjoy that. And I broke away from that philosophy. You know, I told them, if you're not comfortable recording your weight or weighing yourself, don't do it, you know? And that's why I was inspired to write this book 
from a health at every size, weight inclusive approach, because I don't believe that you need to be fixated on your weight to be able to manage prediabetes or insulin resistance. In fact, I think like we talked about previously, uh, engaging in very restrictive diets over time can be more harmful to your metabolic health and your blood sugar levels than just eating a filling plate that has all the food components. And I also believe that the stress surrounding unrealistic weight loss goals can be very harmful. Being stressed can truly affect your blood sugar levels. It can affect your appetite and your metabolic health being in a constant state of stress. And a lot of the times when we are in a restrictive chronic diet, we are in a constant state of stress. So I always like to emphasize that. And when it comes to the to the DPP or diabetes prevention study, uh, they did a follow-up several years later. And what this follow-up found is that at every age group, most people who participated in the diabetes prevention program gained weight afterwards. So much like in other very restrictive diets, you may lose the weight for some time, but you're probably going to gravitate towards your set point weight and gain it back. Despite the fact that people regained the weight, uh, the long-term follow-up found that participating in the lifestyle program, which focused on increasing consumption of fruits and vegetables and focused on physical activity, uh, led to a delayed development of diabetes. And it showed that there were sustained and long-term positive effects of people who simply decided to increase their physical activity on a weekly basis. And for people who decided to include more fruits and vegetables on their plates. So even though the people who were in this program initially lost the weight and then gained it back, they still saw great benefits from just making small attainable changes to their lifestyle. And I think anytime you hear a diet that promise you to cure you of a disease, that promise you, you know, that tells you that, you know, you'll reverse something or that if you drink the celery juice, you know, you'll cure all your ailments. Usually it's it's a fat diet and they're trying to sell you or on, on something. I wish I could tell you, you know, if you drink uh, celery juice or apple cider vinegar, you know, you'll get rid of your prediabetes and your gastritis and your heartburn. <laughs> I wish that were the case because I would try it myself, you know, but, <laughs> but it's not like that. So anytime you hear anybody making you know, promises, run for you the should hills. reflect. <laughs> yeah. And run. Yeah. Yeah. You should run for the hills. <laughs> And, you know, and also I wanted to mention with the diabetes prevention study that even though it's a long-term study and it included a lot of patients, so it's a robust study from a public health sense, the study was not designed to test the contributions of each aspect of the intervention. For instance, they weren't able to isolate whether the benefits were due to dietary changes, increased in physical activity, or weight loss. So in a way, when you hear people say, oh, well, if, you, if you'll lose weight, 
you know, you'll manage your prediabetes. The research doesn't necessarily show that it was the weight loss that led to better health outcomes. It could have very well just been making some dietary changes or the physical activity. Right. And that's something that people fail to acknowledge that the diabetes prevention study didn't actually uh, extrapolate each in- intervention that they did to figure out what was the most beneficial. No, I was and, gonna say, I think that's yeah. the thing with most studies that look at weight loss. They don't they're not controlling for each of these things and looking at the behaviors as their own intervention. And I mean, I think you could surmise that or conclude that based on the fact that people gain the weight back, but still when they continue the behaviors, their diabetes was prevented for longer. Like that to me means that it was the behaviors more so than the weight. But yeah, I know as healthcare providers, especially when you're kind of more in that weight centric approach, which we were, we were leaning on the weight loss mm-hmm. and not realizing the harm that was being done by that, especially like you mentioned with the patients who just felt a lot of shame with getting weight and and all that. So, but I'm glad that you have your book out that is weight inclusive and that the field is shifting. So can you tell us a little bit more about where people can find your work, where they can get the book and also just <laughs> shameless plug. Alice works <laughs> in my practice, by the way. Uh, Jessica Jones. Alice, tell so us how it is really working with Jess. <laughs> <laughs> is she the evil, wicked witch of the yeah, West? I'm going to air out all our dirty laundry, Jess. <laughs> um, <laughs> but actually, oh God, and I mean this with all my heart, Jess is one of the kindest, most honest, Aww. and helpful people I've ever had the privilege to. To, to work with. Girl, you don't got to yeah, lie, lie, girl. Like, Just tell us the truth. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I paid her. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, it's been so refreshing working in a place where I feel like I can use my voice and, you know, my culture to support patients and to, you know, brainstorm about how to make our practice more inclusive and culturally rich and accessible for people from all walks of life, especially uh, Black, Indigenous people of color. So I I love it. I love it so far. And it's been a very nurturing place. So yeah. (laughs) I know your clients love working with you too. So no, it's been both sides such a great experience. And I'm so glad that you wanted to join the team because it just ended up working out so well because our values are very aligned. Okay, what about the book? <laughs> oh, yes. I'm so proud of this book for so many reasons. First of all, it's because I really believe that if you're tired of restrictive diets and diets that make you feel pressure to lose weight or inadequate. This book is not about that. And neither is my practice as, as, as a dietitian. My goal in writing this book was to support readers in making peace with food and understanding that health is about practice, not perfection. And that um, a key to, to leading a more healthful life is to learn to treat yourself with loving kindness and patience, especially when you're managing a chronic condition, whether it's 
pre-diabetes, diabetes, or, you know, a digestive condition, it's so important for you to treat yourself with kindness and to honor your health and your body. And this book is all about that. And, you know, any of the work I do with, with Jess and other articles are right. They're all about that. It's about honoring your health, honoring your culture, honoring your um, traditions and treating yourself with kindness and patience, especially if you're managing a chronic condition, because there are times when you feel angry and upset and just frustrated that maybe you do have insulin resistance. But I'm here to tell you that if you've been told that you have prediabetes, it's not something that you need to lose sleep over or it's not something that you need to feel guilty or shame about. If your intention is pure and you focus on treating yourself with kindness and patience, then um, that's a great mm-hmm. achievement. I love that. Love it. And the book, everyone, is called Prediabetes Diet an action plan, a guide to reverse pre-diabetes and start new healthy habits. And it's available everywhere books are sold, right? Because I'm seeing it on Amazon. Yes. Yes. You can get it anywhere and you can get it at smaller bookstores if you don't um, like Amazon too. Um, (laughs) And And you can follow me on social media too. I'll be uh, sharing more recipes from the book and other recipes that, um, my brother and I have created. So we're excited to create more videos and recipes because we're always cooking. We'll add your um, socials in the show notes, but it's Alice in Foodie Land across all platforms, right? Except Twitter because um, it's too long. So in Twitter, okay. it's Alice Foodie Land, but it, okay. on Instagram, it's Alice in Foodie Land. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alice. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Jess and Wendy. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Food Heaven podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to connect with us online. We're most active on the gram at Food Heaven, but we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Food Heaven Show. If you like this podcast, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. Yep, our podcast is released every Wednesday and each week we take a deep dive into topics like health at every size, food and culture, intuitive eating, mental health, and body acceptance. If you're looking for a sustainable and inclusive path to wellness, come hang out with us to learn how to take care of yourself from the inside out. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.